Methane emissions are responsible for about 30% of the Earth's warming being experienced today, according to the UN Environment Programme. It also says that slashing methane is the single fastest way to tackle climate change in the short term. Reliable data is crucial for tracking emissions, and satellite data is proving to be very valuable as a data source, and one that can reveal underreporting from industry and companies. This week, The Guardian used global satellite data to highlight 1,256 methane super emitter events from 2019 to 2023, with over 1,000 coming from landfill waste dumps. Antoine Half provided the satellite image analysis to The Guardian. Antoine is adjunct senior research scholar at the Centre on Global Energy Policy at Columbia University and chief analyst as well as co-founder of Kairos, a private company that tracks emissions from satellites. Antoine Half, thank you so much for joining us on Sunday Extra. Thanks so much for having me. Could we start by just getting an understanding of the role that methane plays in emissions and climate change generally? Yeah, methane is a very powerful greenhouse gas. It's responsible for probably one third of global warming to date. Methane emissions are rising faster than carbon emissions. So in the next 20 years on current trends, is probably going to be responsible for half of global warming. For a long time, it was kind of ignored by climate policy. If you go back to the Paris Agreement, to the COP21 in 2015, there was almost no word about methane. Uh, everything was about carbon because we, we knew how to detect carbon. We knew where carbon was coming from. So we had some ideas what needed to be done to reduce carbon emissions, but we had no way of measuring methane. Today, we've made huge advances in, we launched satellites and we made advances on the processing side, you know, developed uh, AI algorithms to process the imagery from satellites. And now we have a lot more transparency about methane emissions than we did in the past. And satellites really have unlocked new opportunities to abate emissions and slow down global warming. What we pick up with satellites mostly is super emitters. And you know, we also measure based on countrywide emissions, but super emitters are kind of key because they're very easy to spot comparatively, also very easy to abate, to deal with. And if you address all super emitters from human activity, you can really slow down global warming by 0.3 degrees C. It really is interesting the way that the UNEP describes it as a sort of data revolution with huge potential for reducing emissions. I understand that there are five sectors that are responsible for, for methane pollution, oil and gas, coal, rice, livestock, and waste. What is the satellite data telling you about the, the distribution of the methane emissions within those sectors? Yes, about 40% on the fossil fuel side, so oil and gas and coal, 40% on agriculture, and then 20% in waste, landfills. And so the super emitter events, seem to are they geared towards the waste and landfill sectors? Yes, so the oil and gas industry releases a lot of super emitters, and this is really due to bad operating practices and, and uh, obsolete equipment that needs to be replaced. Things that should not exist. Very easy to address, low cost, not justifiable in any way. Low-hanging foods for climate action. From landfills, you have these massive landfills, mostly in Southeast Asia, that accumulate a lot of methane gas as the, the waste uh, ferments in uh, oxygenated conditions. And that gets released uh, occasionally in big bursts that are equivalent to tens of thousands of cars running a whole year. But still the low-hanging fruit, as you described it, is the, I think you said the 40% or so that was fossil fuels. How much harder is it to reduce the emissions from the landfill sector, which is that, that other 20%? 
it's definitely doable. And not all landfills emit methane at the same rate. Some landfills are pretty, pretty modern and pretty clean. The most attractive option would be to capture the methane and actually use it because methane is, is gas. You know, natural gas is 95% methane. In India, in Pakistan, Bangladesh, where you have a lot of those methane emission from landfills, there's also a lack of, uh, of energy. Those countries import natural gas at a very high price. You have pockets of the population that don't have access to modern energy services. So you have an opportunity cost. You have a lost opportunity to provide modern energy services to a population that needs it and to reduce the import bill of the country. So you can capture, there is technology that covers the landfills and capture the, the gas. You can also prevent the gas from happening in the first place by handling the, the waste differently, by sending some of the waste to methanizers to actually do a controlled generation of methane and, and capturing it. Or you can bulk the landfills, and that reduces the amount of methane that comes out of it. On Sunday Extra, we're speaking with Antoine Hal, adjunct senior research scholar at the Centre on Global Energy Policy at Columbia University and the co-founder of Kairos. And Antoine, Kairos is doing the analysis of this methane data from satellites. When you get that data, what really stands out to you about the methane emissions? Just how prevalent they are. We started in 2019 because there's a methane sensor called Tropomy that is carried by Saturn F5P a satinale of the um, Copernicus constellation of the European Space Agency. That's when we started exploiting this data, processing it with uh, AI algorithms. And we thought we would capture maybe 10, 15, 20 uh, super emitters a year uh, because we knew about four or five at the time that had been observed through other methods. And we were surprised that we sometimes captured 10 a day and thousands per year. So it came as a shock uh, how much methane superemitters we generate by human activity. The UN's Eye on Methane report from December last year highlighted the fact that there's a large difference between global measurement-based assessments and industry-reported emissions. Is that an area where satellite analysis is helpful as well? Very much so, very much so. So, you know, some companies have started reporting about their emissions. But when you compare those measurements with what we can observe from the sky, you see a huge difference, sometimes a factor of 20. There's probably some ways to explain the, that difference, but most of the time, uh, companies are not really incentivized to lift the, the veil on the full impact of their activities on the ground. I suppose uh, the prospect of some independent global satellite analysis might be some sort of incentive at least. It's changing, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, things are changing and new policies are coming into place which really create an incentive companies to both improve their operations and also be transparent about what they're doing. Is that what you were talking about when you said on Twitter recently that it's high time that we move away from misleading emissions factors? Yeah, yeah. So emission factors is, is the traditional way to assess methane emissions, and that's the way that the UNFCCC prescribes countries to report their methane in inventories. But those, those, those emission factors have been proved to be, to be obsolete and to be uh, irrelevant or to grossly underestimate emissions. They, they don't account for uh, maintenance operations, for example, on pipelines. They don't account for misfunctioning equipment. They don't really paint the full picture. But yeah, until recently, the, the idea was you had this kind of equipment and that type of equipment typically emits this much methane, so your methane emissions were that much. That's not the way it works. If you rely on, on emission factors, one of the downsides of that is that there's, you don't incentivize good behavior because you treat everybody the same. 
In fact, there's huge differences in the way companies and countries operate. And you have, you know, in the oil and gas sector, you have companies operating side by side in very similar geologies or identical geologies with very different footprints. And that's all due to operating practices and the way the companies work. You were talking before about the technology available to reduce the emissions or recapture the emissions, use the emissions from methane that's coming out of landfills. At the same time, The Guardian report was saying that emissions from unmanaged landfills could double by 2050. What do you think of that projection? And what would it say if that happened, given that the technology is available? They could double because the rate of urbanization is is relentless, especially in fast-growing countries like India. You know, India is a booming economy. That's where most of the new demand for energy is expected to come from in the next decades. And uh, you, you do have an issue of uncontrolled landfill management and, and emissions. So yeah, that's, that's a concern. But there's also, I think it's fair to say, growing concern in um, local governments in India, municipalities, states, and some real interest in clamping down on, on methane emissions and, and uh, stopping this issue. There are challenges as well that are specific to India, by the way, because there's caste issues and you have segments of the population that live off of the landfills and you have to make sure that when you address the landfills in a way to reduce methane emissions, they don't get harmed in their livelihood in the process. Mm-hmm. Anton, we've obviously focused on methane in this discussion, but Kairos is using satellite data for all sorts of different types of analysis. Could you give us a bit of a, a sense of the broader application? Well, I think one way to, to describe it is to, to talk about our three main missions and three main categories of products, and it's a wide range of applications altogether. One of our missions is, is about reducing the climate footprint, and that's about measuring emissions. Methane is part of that, but it's not just methane, it's also carbon emissions. Very different approach, different methodologies, different use cases, but very important to make sure that carbon markets are efficient. We also monitor forestry, natural carbon sinks, you know, how much carbon is embedded in, in forests or vegetation, and we track the biodiversity of the forest as well. Second bucket, second mission is to help with adaptation and resilience and to protect people and assets and ecosystems from climate risks, from the risks of wildfires and and flooding and so on. So we monitor nature, we monitor biodiversity, as I said, but also the risks of wildfires and flooding. And we work with firefighters, for example, to help identify the zones at risk. And we help firefighters plan their prevention efforts and, uh, and also um, and also optimize their response when things happen. I was going to ask you about that. So the data that you're using deals with both preventive planning, but it could also be used sort of in a real-time scenario? It can, yeah. Yeah, it can. And it, uh, we can monitor a fire as it happens. We can assess the damage very, very quickly so that the insurance companies can respond very, very fast and assist the people who suffered the damages in a very efficient and fast fashion. Uh, but we can also help... Uh, fighters identify where they should focus. You know, when several fires happen in, simultaneously in a country, sometimes firefighters are stretched and they need to prioritize their efforts. So we can help identify where they should direct their efforts first. And the third bucket is that we monitor the energy transition itself and we try to help optimize it again with data. And here, what we do is that we track energy supply chains along the chain, and that covers both renewable energy as well as fossil fuel energy. So, for example, in the U.S., we track the pace at which we develop solar farms. 
you know, there's a huge uh, effort to build up solar power generation capacity. But companies are not always very transparent about how quickly they are, where they are in their process of developing the funds. Having this information is important not only for the companies and investors, but also for electricity markets or gas markets. Each time a new solar farm comes on the market, comes online, that displaces natural gas. Or if the solar generation is weak, then that generates more gas demand. So you need to have this information in order to integrate the renewables into the mix. At the same time, we also monitor the fossil fuels. So we monitor the activity of gas liquefaction plants, for example, energy liquefaction trains. And when we see an outage, we can alert the market immediately so as to help arbitrage the market and compensate for the shortfall of supply. Uh, similarly, we monitor crude oil inventories and so on. So a, a wide range of applications, but all very relevant to address climate change, to address both mitigation efforts and adaptation efforts. Fascinating. Antoine Health, thank you so much for joining us on Sunday Extra. Thanks so much for having me. That's Antoine Health, the Chief Analyst and Co-Founder of Kairos and the Adjunct Senior Research Scholar at the Centre on Global Energy Policy at Columbia University. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.